Theologically Progressive Baptist Church in Salisbury, Maryland. This is our podcast. You know what song Wait, it is? I actually like this. I had a friend who loved this song in high school. Uh, millions of people loved this song in high school. That's true. This is Alex Melton on YouTube. He's a music savant who reimagines all sorts of songs as if Blink-182 was performing them. This happens to be Nickelback's classic photograph. Classic. You know what? What year did this come out? Like 2000? I'd guess 04. Mm, It's later than that, I think. That might be. I'm not going to be able to find it here in the notes. You see, you can make anything sound good as a pop punk song. I love it. Hey, okay, let me let me get let me before we get into the show. Let let me just go on a rant here real quick. I do not believe. I do not believe. I do not believe that Nickelback deserves as much hate as they receive. I already know this about you. I know, but just pretend that you don't for the sake of the you listeners at home. You think that Smash Mouth Smash Mouth more is garbage. Hate than uh, Nickelback. Stained is garbage. There's so many bands from that era that are garbage. Why have we decided to pick on the Canadians? Doesn't make sense. Their songs are no worse than many other bands from that era, yet we decided, oh, Creed's terrible and Nickelback's terrible. I got news for you. I got news for you. I was in the car the other day, and Higher by Creed came on, and I was jamming. It's not a bad song. It is. I mean, it sort of is, but... It's hard to tell because I've I, heard it so much. I, that takes me back to freshman year of college when my own prison came out and creed was like it was sort of that like are they secular oh are they christian (laughs) i don't know what to do with it they've got so many spiritual overtones and i love it Mm. they man so when their second album came out i was like whoo i was into it big time they don't deserve the hate i did see the other day that scott stapp who is the lead singer of creed formerly, is doing a halftime show at one of the college football bowl games coming up. (laughs) Is he doing things still? Uh, He's playing this, the Arizona Bowl halftime show. You would think. What else has he got going on? Maybe he'll go to the um, classic American standards. Like Sinatra? Like Michael Bublé, those sort of Michael standards. Michael Bublé is not what. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. You mean like jazz, jazz standards? I've been listening to uh, holiday music, obviously, and Michael Bublé came on, and I was thinking, like, man, this guy really just punched his ticket. You know what I mean? He's a moderately okay singer, and he is taking on these classic songs in a style that has been done. Hundreds of times, but he cashed in at the right moment. Well, you there's don't think not so? really many doing that style now. Correct. That's what I mean. So he he, but he just ripped off what had been done and said, "There's a gap here, so I can be the new Nat King Cole. I can be the new." He'll Bing never Cross- be Nat King. Of Cole. course he won't. Of course he won't. But. but then I was thinking about how, you know, like my sister, for example, went to see a Michael Buble Christmas show. 
I a few years ago. I feel like it would be enjoyable. No, it I, would not. I think it would. I like him. I would rather go see Nickelback tomorrow than Michael Bublé. I said it, and I'm going to stand by it. Welcome to the okay. TRP podcast, where we are full of all sorts of hot and spicy takes, such as Nickelback doesn't deserve the hate. Hashtag Smash Mouth is worse. Okay, let's try to get that going. So comment I'm comment below. Not really a part of this campaign, but all right. you can try to get the people going. That's I guess. Fine. So tonight, nobody that's listening to this can can participate. Tonight we've got a membership class going uh, for TRP. Real quick though, I'm I'm curious, Tessa, talk to me about church membership. Where do you land on this? I don't have super strong opinions on it. I feel like it's nice for a personal reason for kind of saying like this is my these are my people, this is my community. Yeah. But as far as like it almost feels like it's it should be more for the people than it is for the church. Does that make sense? So no, say more words about that. It should be more for the people than it should be for the church. Like it should be more of people saying that this is my community. Yeah, yeah. Like than, planting a flag. Yes, than the church controlling. People? Oh gosh. Or like, oh, no. do you know what I mean? I, Maybe controlling is probably a strong. So we've word. been going back and forth on this like behind the curtain trying to figure out like do we still want to do membership does it make sense because right now our membership requirements are you cannot be a jerk face mm -hmm. and you should support what we're about mm -hmm. but it's you don't have to be you don't have to be a christian you don't have to be baptized uh you don't have to believe the same things that we do it's pretty much you just say i i support what's happening here and i want to be a part of it yeah that's it so we've tried, like, with that bar being so low, question mark? We've low, wondered, I think, is the wrong term. I do, too. Term. Um, because really, that's just us as a leadership it's trying a, to say, it's like, a who, who minimal are, bar. Yeah, as, as far as, like, comparatively speaking, it's a minimal bar. Because yes. at other places, like, you got to get dunked. Yeah. you got to sign your name to this creed. You've got to claim that you believe everything that the church's statement of faith affirmed, that sort of stuff. And we're just not really about that. The reason why we're not about that is because we've had people shift in their own personal beliefs over time that are members, and we don't want to say, ah, yeah, just <clears throat> that virgin birth piece, um, you can't be you can't be a member anymore. Right. You can't vote on the budget anymore because, yeah, really got to believe this thing. Right. Which is crazy because they're invested in the life of the community and maybe even giving financially to it. But we, we've been struggling this year in particular with, do we still do this? Is this meaningful? And I kind of landed with you. People would benefit from planting a flag in the ground because we live in a moment where commitments to anything really are pretty fleeting. It's easy for people yeah. to say, mm, this is hard. I'm going to go now. Mm -hmm. And we're hopeful that like a church commitment isn't, oh, this is hard. I, I don't even know what that would, what that would be. You know, what would constitute the, the hardness of partnering with people other than hey, this guy over here doesn't think that masks are effective or this person over here votes Democrat and trying to navigate that mm -hmm. that's life right. you know if you put yourself in an echo chamber where 
everybody thinks exactly like you do, what are we really gaining by that? Right. So we're trying to, you know, let people plant a flag in the ground and become part of this thing that, that we're doing. And also we're trying to, you know, invite them into being more aware of what we are all about, which is funny, isn't it? Like you can go to a church for months and months and months and not necessarily know a lot of the stuff. For example, I I was talking to a friend of mine, this was a couple years ago now, and he was attending a Southern Baptist church, and Southern Baptist churches do not affirm women as pastors. Right. But this gentleman had been a part of TRP for a few years. We absolutely affirm women in any role that they're called to, whether it be senior pastor on down to fill in the blank. Um, And he was like so surprised that a church would not affirm women. And he had been at this church for like months and months and months, but because they're not saying every week, okay, welcome to Joe Blow uh, Southern Baptist Church, where we don't believe women can do leadership things and where we don't affirm LGBTQ folks and where we don't, like, they don't list out all the stuff, so it just gets cloaked in, well, they sing Hillsong, and that's cool, and I get to wear jeans, and the pastor's really applicable, so I'm just going to hang out here. Which is so interesting that you're not, I mean, I get it. It's weird to not know where your church stands on things like that. That are major issues. Yes. But it happens all the time. All the time. Because most churches don't want to say those things clearly. Because right. if you were to say, like, from the stage, oh, hey, by the way, um, we will not perform a same-sex wedding, mm-hmm. then in their mind, well, we've isolated people. Mm-hmm. Well, no kidding. You've isolated... like. Yeah. If if that's your theology, let it be known. This is why things like churchclarity.com exist because when people are looking for churches, you can't usually just go to a website and figure out what people think because they don't want to exclude people. They want to do that on the back end where it's like you get into the membership class and you're like, "Oh, by the way, here's all the stuff that we think." It feels so skeevy. It's very skeevy. And I sort of set it up like that's what's happening with our membership classes. That's not maybe maybe six years ago, five or six years ago. But now it's like you go to our website, you get a pretty good idea what we think about most of the hot button issues. So our membership classes are more, hey, this is why we exist in the world. Hey, this is what we're trying to do in the world. Hey, this is why we think uh, church is difficult right now because Mm -hmm. you've got so many people either doubling down on conservative evangelical beliefs or you've got people saying, I want to try this other religious expression or I want to just hang out and meditate and be with my friends or, hey, I want to have a home church sort of situation with the three people that I really love and trust and we can follow Jesus together. I don't want institutional church. So we can talk about those sorts of things and... Uh, you know, hopefully people get a better idea of, of what it means to partner with a local community in a really weird time in which to make that claim for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good for membership class is good for clarity and for the opportunity to ask questions. Um, 
In the past, it's been that, like, for example, the annual meeting that we're having next week, you would have to be a member to vote on yeah. the budget. Is that still the case? That's still the case. Yeah. And, that, and this is why another reason why we wanted to go ahead and have another membership class. It's something that we're still in the process of thinking through. I, again, it's good that people can plant a flag and that maybe helps them to not leave as quickly as they might when any you know, difficulty does arise. But we do also have this membership piece that helps us to plot who gets a say in financial issues. Mm-hmm. We want to be as inclusive as possible, yeah. but if you show up to TRP on a Sunday and then the next Sunday you're voting on the money that yeah. you may or may not even be contributing to, that seems weird to me. Yeah, definitely. Having said that, if that person said, hey, can I see your budget? Yeah, absolutely. What's your email address? I'll yeah. send you a PDF. Yeah. Uh, like we want to be as open and transparent with that, and we want the people to be able to say, "I don't think that Josh should make as much money as he does because he is a butt." Wow, I don't know why you picked that as your example. Because but... I didn't want to say because Tessa is a butt. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. So yeah, TRP folks, if you're listening, and I know you are. Oh wow! I know you are. Sounds sultry. On on this Thursday, the second it comes out, the second this podcast drops, we know that you're listening to it. Yeah, some of you are like already plotting. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna save up all my bathroom breaks. Yes, and then when this thing hits, I'm going to the bathroom for 97 minutes to listen to all of the goodness. Yep, and while you're plotting about that, you should also plot about this Saturday. Oh, thank you. Yes, this this Saturday is beer and hymns. The weather, Tessa, does not look inviting. It doesn't. It looks blustery and wet. Yes. We have a we are in the process of developing a plan B, which hopefully means we can just walk inside the building. We're we're planning to be on the plaza in downtown Salisbury. We're planning to sing a bunch of Christmas songs. The band just got together last night. We practiced yeah, we did. some. It sounded fun. really nice. Um and then we're planning to drink a technical term, <clears throat> crap ton mm-hmm. of beer. Mm-hmm. We have a keg and a sixtal coming. And we have 14 people RSVP'd. Yep. So, 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 hey, when you show up, you know, you'll get, you just get a punch pass. You get 10 beers. <laughs> um, and then we will still have some left over for a little bit of a rager on Sunday. Yep. A post And by that we rager. mean, everybody, please be responsible with yeah. your alcohol consumption. <laughs> yeah. We'll also have a photo backdrop I'm working on. There you go. So those are always fun. All right. So sun, uh, Saturday, December 11th. Five o'clock. It's early because we want you to come and sing and then go. Bring your children. Hit a downtown restaurant. They can't have beer, though. No, no beer for the children. No. Um, and then TRP folks or anybody who's interested, we're having the annual business meeting next Wednesday. I believe that's the 15th. Yes. And that's online. So if you want to just be weird and uh, anonymous on Zoom and be like, I want to see what these guys do with their finances. I mean. I'd love that. Sure. Come on in. And see, and see what we got going. We're transparent. Money, Tessa, is very... Money is a butt. ...difficult to talk about. Yes, I agree. So we, we seem to attract, quote-unquote, exvangelical-type people. Yes. People leaving more uh, stereotypical, this non-denominational... Propaganda, would say... Evangelifish churchianity or something like That's that. That's intense. He, he's an intense guy. He is. But yes, it's hard to talk about because so many people are coming from situations where it's such a thing 
it's baggage. It's yes. because you've heard pastors manipulate the Bible and sort of, you know, extort it in a way that just heaps guilt and shame upon people for not giving until it hurts mm-hmm. so that the church can go on to build an additional wing on their building yes. where they can where the men can play basketball on Tuesday nights. Yep. And it's just like, man. And the women can play on Wednesday nights. Maybe. maybe. Oh, oh, true. Yeah, maybe. The women can meet and crochet on Wednesday nights <laughs> yeah, in the better. gym. <laughs> that's better. So, um, yeah, if you want to hang out with us next Wednesday, we'll be talking talking money. Gosh, we're all over the place. So I, I, I should have mentioned this, too, because if you're going to go in the bathroom at, on Thursday and you're going to listen to this mm-hmm. podcast, which, I, again, I know, I know you are. Yep. Um, Thursday night. Yes. Thursday night. Yes. What do we call it? Christmas. Christmas. Merry Christmas theater. Merry it's Christmas a it's theater. a play. On, no. Yeah. Because it's a play on mystery science theater. Yes. Because that not that not many people probably would connect. Well, but the logo is the same. I again, you know how subtle art is, and how that subtlety kind right. of flies well, over people's heads. Sometimes, I feel like if you've watched, if you've seen Mystery Science Theater, you would recognize yeah. the little planet thingy. We okay, or okay. whatever it is. So we're we're showing, or we're gonna sync up and watch the new Netflix film, Single All the Way. To which I said, "Is that is that is that a movie about me?" It's so, not. So here's no, it's it's, it's not. not. <laughs> it's it's about two gay men actually, yeah. um, friends who fall in love, desperate to avoid his family's <gasps> yes. judgment about his perpetual single status. Oh no! Can you relate to that? Can you relate to, are, are your parents kind of like, all right, Tessa, um, time to go. Let's get on Tinder. No, no. Although my mom does want to swipe with me sometime. <laughs> I wanted to swipe here. with you a couple I days ago. I you did. <laughs> I, I asked you, I was like, let me see that phone because I really want to see what we're dealing with. Yeah. Because you're always saying the pool is shallow. V shallow. And to me, I'd be like, I doubt that. Yeah. And then sure enough. You're like, this is terrible. Dudes are weird. Yeah. It's like, I know what will get the women. If I am shirtless in my first profile picture and I have a really stupid quote under my name. There's this one guy who had a picture of himself in a bathtub with his cat and his like hairy legs are sticking out of the water. What about it's that guy who was wearing, was he wearing like a horse costume? Remember this guy? I forget what, what platform it was, but he was like wearing some animal costume. Mm-hmm. I just like, what are we doing here? What People are crazy. I don't know. Mm, this looks good. He's wearing an animal <laughs> suit. That's something I want to do. Yep. If we meet for drinks, can you wear the horse costume? <laughs> It'll be like that um, show on Netflix. I don't know that show. It's called Sexy Beast. Okay. And it's like no. blind dating, but they're dressed up. Okay. I've never actually watched can it. Can you see their faces? Or are they wearing like the animal mask? Masks. Oish. It's a situation. So Anyway. Okay, desperate to avoid his family's oh, judgment yeah. about his perpetual single status, Peter convinces his best friend Nick to join him for the holidays and pretend that they're now in a relationship. Mm. I Okay, uh, can I just say this? Like, TRP has been sort of vocal about its um, inclusion of LGBTQ folks for, I don't know, a year-ish, yeah. year plus. It's certainly been something that has been uh, within our, I don't know, people have thought that we are thinking about this, and we have been. So for 
for years. Yeah, for years. We do classes. We talk about books. We talk about issues. We're very open. And yep. within the last, I guess it was probably two years or so, we made more public statements well, about- Well, 2020 didn't exist, so. Correct. So back in 2019. Yeah. Which is actually when it was because we were doing that series. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about same sex. Yep. Um, but I thought when we posted this that people would have a response to it. They did not. I I didn't. I Knowing our people. Well, you mean people in general? I mean people outside of oh, the circle. Oh, did they not? Oh, of course not. Maybe they didn't look closely. <laughs> and maybe that's just where, like, maybe we've finally gotten to a place where people... We're like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. Know who we are, know yeah. what we do. That would be nice. That would be so cool. Yeah. Stop the hate, people. Okay, so we're going to be watching uh, Single All the Way on Thursday and simultaneously some, on Slack. And some witty banter on our Slack social media platform. And it's funny, man. Like the, the people that there's two different types of people that join us on Slack. Mm-hmm. One is like they live for this. Mm-hmm. They, they are, they are two thumb typers. Yep. They are quick to the draw. Yep. They are on all the jokes. Yes. And then there's other people that's like, you can tell like they're intimidated because it's just like, <laughs> blip, 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 blip. It goes, and you're it like, goes oh my quick. gosh, I can't, I, I have a joke, but it was like from five minutes ago and it, or I even missed my moment. Or even 10 seconds ago. Your timing is everything with a joke. So, so last week we had some, some newbies pop on there and, you know, they were kind of talking early, but then you just see them disappear over time. <laughs> I was like, and, oh and, no. And you're wondering like, oh gosh, do they feel like they can't wedge themselves in like we're just talking too fast and they have you know they can't wedge themselves in or like Susie our associate minister just loses interest in the movie and falls asleep <laughs> which from my Vanessa Hudgens fandom that just that well, it was offensive to you that is offensive yeah. to me yes but she'll fall asleep during any movie correct doesn't so, really matter it, but yeah you got two t- two different types of people if you're the type that just wants to lurk and watch some some witty, funny stuff happen. Yeah, I can, go for I'll it. go ahead right now and say Josh Hill was my MVP last week. He's funny, quippy. This is total inside baseball. So if you're listening to this and you're not part of the TRP community, then apologies. But yeah, just some people shine in text-based communication. Amanda's usually funny too, but she wasn't on there. Correct. So that night. But if you'd like to join us, you can feel free to do that. If you would just like to watch the movie uh, along with us, you can feel free to do that. Single all the way on Netflix. And we will be excited to hear from you. Yes. Now. Hashtag movie night therapy is our movie thread on Slack. And and we'll drop the invite in the show notes. Yeah. That sounded pro. Yeah, it did. We got show notes. All right, let's get into the stuff from Sunday. Tessa, do you ever like create something or sing a song and at the end of it, you're like, well, that wasn't the greatest effort? Yes, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So most things I do take multiple tries. I didn't really realize that that was happening to me on Sunday night, Mm -hmm. but I was alerted through text message afterwards like, Hey, uh, what were you trying to say? Because I missed all of that. Yeah. And to your credit, I do think that we had a lot of different... We had some interaction, which was really good. 
but it took some windy turns, which I think might have made it it's it's a more w- difficult to follow along. It's a with. weird passage. Again, so in Advent, which Advent means coming, it kind of introduces a lot of the the preparatory texts leading up to the birth of Jesus sort of and then it also in- includes a lot of the John the Baptist as an adult mm-hmm. stuff which is preparatory to the ministry of Jesus and then it also like last week has this second coming end times stuff none of it is christmasy mm-hmm. and this one is not really christmasy either we've got nearly 30-year-old John the Baptist beginning his ministry. And then next week, it's going to be the back half of this. So like the actual baptism, uh, I think it gets into the baptism of Jesus. If not, it's the whole bit where John the Baptist is talking to the people who have gone out to be baptized by him. And he's like, you brood of vipers, what are you doing out here? Who told you to come and get this baptism? You know, it's just like, this is not Christmassy. <laughs> and as a minister, sometimes you think, how in the world can I make this applicable in any way to any person? Let me let me read the passage to you and then Tessa, you tell me how I should have done it. Okay. Oh, great. <clears throat> and then um, we'll just let you we'll let great. you preach. Okay, great. All right, this is Luke chapter three, the first six verses. And we'll talk about the the stuff that comes before, but basically just rough sketch. Luke 1 is all about the birth announcement of John the Baptist. So like you've got Zachariah the priest, he goes in to do his priestly duties. This was a big deal in his life. I think it was a once in a lifetime opportunity for him to go into this place and offer the incense. And while he's in there, an angel shows up and is like, oh, hey, by the way, you're going to have a baby. Right. Okay. And then we also get the birth announcement of Jesus to Mary and the Magnificat in uh, Luke chapter 1 as well. And then Luke 2 is all about the birth of Jesus. It feels a little all over the place. Uh, Yeah, I mean, s- sort of. Okay. So you get all the pre-John the Baptist baby stuff, the pre-Jesus baby stuff, then you get the Jesus baby stuff and then you get this rogue so the theme is babies and then you get this rogue jesus 12 year old in the temple babies and tweens yes and then luke 3 where we are fast forward yeah i think i lost people here too because i really wanted to talk about the show dope sick because i because <laughs> i love it it was such a and i and when i say i love it i mean it was so infuriating and captivating. Is that the one with um my main man Michael Keaton? You want to get oh, nuts? Oh. Come on. Oh. Let's get nuts. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that. Batman? The original? Oh. That's the quote. Actually, I don't think I've seen oh, that my gosh. to be honest. Oh my goodness. Okay, you guys can have your Christian anyway, Bale. Was... Just give me Michael Keaton. Okay, I mean So this show is about the development of OxyContin. Okay. Yeah, Which, yeah, yeah. side note, I've always pronounced it Oxycontin. I think most people do. But it's technically Oxycontin. Yeah. And in the show, they were kind of really stressing it. Anyways. Oxycontin. The development, the marketing. So it's about like the drug reps who go out and sell this to the doctors. And the way that they sold it was by using false claims of this is a non-addictive 
less than 1% of the people that use this get addicted to it. Oh, wow. Which the FDA approved like the the wording and the verbiage that was used in a lot in in all of their um sales materials come to find out because that's what the FDA does right they make sure that people aren't there using false claims and something about like the the way that it was packaged originally the FDA made a special stamp to put on there saying like this is l- less addictive than other opioids where did they get that information? You know what? I mean, if, if you have thoughts about... Or the, who the, paid off who to be able right. to do that. So if you have thoughts about the government and all of that stuff, this show will not help you uh-huh. at all. But it's about like the development of that part one and then part two. Michael Keaton, who plays a local doctor in a um, coal mining community, which in the beginning of Oxycontin's rule, uh, they targeted coal mining, like heavy industry areas, because that's where pain exists. Mm -hmm. So they would send their reps out to these places. And it talks about Michael Keaton, who I won't, I won't tell you what happens, but you know, he's a doctor and he ends up prescribing this. But it's all of the information in it is. I wouldn't say all of the information information is true to how it actually happened. Maybe. I mean, it's hard to say what's true and what's dramatized, but it seems like yeah, there was a lot of real shady biz mm-hmm. in the development and marketing and sale of the drug. There was some shady biz with the government agencies that were behind the scenes seemingly working with uh-huh. the developers of OxyContin yeah. and so on and so forth. But anyway, I, I brought this in because each episode, they have this little timeline at the bottom, and it kind of scrolls anywhere between 1997 and 2006-ish, which is when the big um, legal battles. Mm -hmm. So another character in the show is uh, a U.S. attorney who is attempting to take the pharmaceutical company to court. Gotcha. So it'll go anywhere from 1997 to 2006, and you have to know where you are yes. to make sense of it. Uh-huh. And so me as the over... So you're like, oh, this is like these stories. Yes. We're scrolling through time. Scrolling through time. So when you roll up to Luke chapter three, which is what we're doing right now, mm-hmm. there's a time, like mm-hmm. a year at stamp at the bottom right. that's 30 years or so in the future from Luke chapter one. Okay. But basically, I just wanted to talk you wanted about to talk dope about sick, dope sick. <laughs> and so I wedged it in because I'm stupid, and I want to be like, "Ooh, let's talk about this fun stuff." Yeah. Sometimes that happens, and you can you can tell if you're in the seats, you can tell when a minister is just excited about an example. <laughs> like I told you about that first sermon I ever preached. The whole thing was about this uh, Olympic race, and I I forgot the story, or I, I told it inaccurately but there's this guy in the olympics who's running and he falls near the end of the race it's a more a longer race i think like a distancey type of thing mm-hmm. and his dad somehow comes out of the stands and gets to his kid picks up his kid and walks with him the final 100 meters or so mm-hmm. the, this is the part i butchered the guy's, the dad's shirt was a Nike shirt that said, have you hugged your feet today? And had a little shoe on it because it's Nike shoe. Yeah. 
and I thought it was the shirt said, "Have you hugged your kid today?" Oh, <laughs> not, not that that was an important part, but just the way I told it. Yeah. So anyway, like I thought, oh, this is a really cool story. I'm going to develop a sermon around this. And then I found a passage and smacked it on there mm. and ended up talking for about three minutes and then it was over. Oh, boy. So sometimes, yeah, you can you can tell when people are very excited about, about yeah. their stories. But anyway, this is Luke chapter three. I'm going to read it and then I want Tessa to tell me how I should have Great. preached no it. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. I believe I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It says this. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. I just want to say one real quick thing about this list of names. Two quick things. One, it's impossible to deduce if and when these people were all in power at the same time. So like the, the chronology that's happening here is really difficult to unearth. Luke's point is not to pin down a specific moment in time so much as it is to say, here's all of the different people in power at some point roundabout when John the Baptist was doing ministry. And he's doing that because this is how you introduce prophets. So when you read the Old Testament, it's, um, you know, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah during the reign of so-and-so and such-and-such and such. This is just kind of what they do. They link prophetic activity with the rulership of certain kings and people in power. And Luke is trying to say, hey, John is functioning as a prophet. Here's some people that are in power. And then, classic prophetic line, the word of God comes to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay? I will say sometimes when you start off a passage that way, you already lose some people. I Not know. you personally, no, no, obviously, I get it. but like... I, and, I, and I have to deal with like in my mind, I always have this, if I don't say this, somebody's going to listen and think that I'm unaware of that. Oh boy. It, right. So it's, to, it's, it's less of a... This is always important for the listener to you hear. You always want to beat people to the punch Absolutely. and let them know that you know. Which, as we've talked about, like in some of our marketing type stuff, like if we were if we were pushing the business meeting, we would say, now we know that everybody hates it when churches talk about uh-huh. money, but we're not going to talk about money in the way that you hate. So mm-hmm. it's like, what are we doing? We've already qualified everything in such a way. We got to stop doing that. We got to. It's not helpful. Anyway, continue. But also, I have uh, very mild OCD, and I want to make sure all of the things are explained. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's the first couple of verses. (laughs) So we're off to a hot start. Yes. Spicy. So spicy. Okay. Verse three. He... John, that is John the Baptist, went into all of the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Still love See? that phrase. Still love that phrase. And Convoluted, I, though, a little bit. I Oh, very much so. Yeah. And I said on Sunday that I would try to go and look at the Greek, 
because it's just weird. And I don't know if some of the authors might be saying, hey, you can't say, uh, which actually they don't fix this here. And my thought it would be um, Isaiah, 8th century prophet, didn't write all of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And actually, Isaiah, 8th century prophet, definitely didn't say what they're getting ready to quote. So some scholars refer to um, Isaiah, the book, as the book called Isaiah hmm. to try to to try to remove sort of the authorial ties of 8th century prophet Isaiah ben Amos as the one who is prophesying all this because Just he did the not. the title of the book versus the author of the book. Yeah, the book called Isaiah, different than Isaiah, the 8th century prophet, who is responsible for roughly chapters 1 through 39. And I say roughly because there's some interpolations there. Um, chapters 24 through 27, which is called the uh, the Apocalypse of Isaiah. Most people would say that's late and has been inserted into this. So not everything in 1 through 39 is 8th century Isaiah. But you've got different hands of different people all over this beautiful book. And what most scholars would say is you've got at least three different layers. 8th century Isaiah in 1 through 39 with some things that are thrown in there. Deutero Isaiah or second Isaiah in 40 through 55 and then um, third Isaiah in 56 through 66. So you've got different hands and these second Isaiah and third Isaiah, they're not really Isaiah. If you had a kid and named him Josh, could you call him Deutero Josh? Deutero Josh. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Well, like I said, Isaiah Ben Amos. Yeah. In Hebrew, Ben means son. Right. So technically it's Isaiah, son of Amos. Amos would be his dad's name. Okay. And I really wanted to to name our firstborn Abram Ben Joshua James, mm-hmm. because it would be Abram, <laughs> son of Joshua James. Uh, oh boy. Nerd. We're also still hoping that Abram changes his name to Abraham at some point. If and when Abram, uh, you know, comes to find Jesus mm-hmm. as compelling and wants to follow him, we will have a covenant renewal ceremony <laughs> with a name change. <laughs> and uh, be good. I was going to throw in and an additional circumcision, but... Oh my I, gosh! <laughs> but yeah, that's giving away too much information. It seems like a bit much. About yeah. my son's yeah. regions. Okay, yep. so... <clears throat> geez, Louise, Tessa... Uh, oh, I'm trying to read this six is what, verses. This is what this happened is what on happens. Sunday. And people are like, what... The H are you talking about? Like yeah. exactly. Yeah, I just I get excited about the Bible. So let's let's revamp. Let's go okay. back. Okay. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius and all these other people, and during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And then he goes into all of the region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it's written in the book of Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is a quote from Isaiah chapter 40. Okay? Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Yep. So this is the text. What, that was the whole thing? What do you? Yeah, what do you do with that? Anything that's like kind of coming off the page, we're like, that's that's what we should be on. This right here. I mean, the stuff from Isaiah is what sticks out to me. 
See, and for some reason, I just decided... But we talked about baptism on yeah, Sunday. I, well, because John because it's about, is yeah. in the wilderness yeah, yeah. baptizing right. people. Yeah. And so we talked about what baptism, who baptism is for, We what talked it about means. a lot of baptism stuff. Yes. And I had a reason why we were doing that, which we'll, which we'll get into. Okay. Well, actually, the reason is when we read the Bible, we are working with a 21st century, very American, for many of us, very evangelical Mm -hmm. uh, approach to what these words mean. So when we hear that John is out in the regions of the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of the repentance for the forgiveness of sins, we equate his activity with... Oh, that baptism we saw on the big screen three weeks ago Uh where 12-year-old kid in a white robe was getting dunked after coming to faith in Jesus and maybe after taking a confirmation class Uh or proving to someone that they really understand. Yeah. That is not what John is doing at all. Right, so that that's I wanted to talk about this because I mean it's important to address our context and what we might be importing on the text. Yes, because yeah. okay. Now other than my own personal beliefs that we seem to get a little insane about gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. Can 12-year-old Johnny really be baptized cuz Johnny really understand we got to make sure pass the test, take the course, like make sure he knows, like that's up to us. Yeah. Other than that thing, which I think is sort of crazy. Which in the Catholic Church, you have usually an infant baptism. I think I was like one and a half. Yeah. I was walking. And then you have confirmation, which is sort of like almost more of the equivalent of what you're talking about. And I don't, that to me is not bad or wrong. Yeah, yeah. To teach people. For sure. What the faith is all about Mm -hmm. to withhold baptism from someone in my not i'm baptist so that to me is sort of like ugh, that seems wrong why would you do that now to be fair uh i forget if it was abe or jude but one of them said the other day like i want to be baptized and part of me is like Mm oh are you sure like do you know are you pretty young so part of me was still sort of playing that gatekeepy role um but yeah I, I don't i don't think that's necessarily the ticket because you can explain any number of things and get someone's signature on a piece of paper whether they're 12 or 50 and in six months they could think that jesus is the stupidest thing ever yeah. you cannot prepare or teach someone to the point of being assured that they, quote-unquote, really get it or will always stay in the family. Mm-hmm. So put that aside. Little Johnny getting dunked in the baptismal on the big screen is still a beautiful mm-hmm. and powerful and meaningful religious rite mm-hmm. that should be practiced Know what I mean? Yeah. So like when we take people out to the cove 
those are always like, those are really beautiful times mm -hmm. because they're like, they're talking about why they want to be out there. They've, they're surrounded by their friends and their family who might be believers or they might just be people who love them. And it's just so beautiful to see a mix of folks who love and support people and want to see them thrive. You know, yeah. that's great. We should do that. That's just not what John's talking about. Mm -hmm. These people who are coming out of the, the city, if you will, to the regions of the Jordan to be baptized, they haven't, um, you know, gotten saved the previous week at synagogue. Yeah. And thinking like, okay, I've got to, I've got to put, uh, what do we say? We, we've got to do an outward expression of my inward faith. Yes. That is not, that's just, that we've made that. Yeah. That's something different. Jesus also you know, when he gets baptized by John, he hasn't just gotten saved. Mm -hmm. He's identifying with something that John is doing out in the wilderness as a prophetic sign act. You know, like all that stuff. We, keep, we talk about like Old Testament prophets, like Jeremiah will show up with a big yoke on his back and he just walks through the city saying, this is what it's going to be like mm -hmm. when Babylon comes in and destroys us. <laughs> we'll be under the yoke of their oppression. You know, it's like... It's intense. Yeah, also... If that if any minister were to do that now, we would be written off pretty much immediately. Oh, definitely. Sign acts are yeah. usually not the thing. Protests yeah. is about as far as we would allow people to go. Yeah. You know, and even that gets gets dicey for some folks. So I wanted to I wanted to address the fact that we import our ideas about faith back onto an ancient text. And we do this all the time. For example, I've been working with the book of Psalms for the last ugh, six years. <laughs> so sick of you Psalms. You sound really excited. About I it. want it to be over. <laughs> okay. Um, Psalm 23. I was in, I was Classic in, I was in a coffee shop. Yesterday. Did and someone I, write it on your cup? Yeah. Yep. I got I got a little double shot of espresso and she wrote Psalm 23. Yeah, she's done that for me before. And I thought to myself, I wonder if she would appreciate the way that I read Psalm 23 because it probably is not the same way that she's reading Psalm 23. Probably not. Because how we read it is usually, and this is weird to be in the coffee shop. Maybe she's thinking, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no, fear no evil, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Like it's comforting. Great. We usually use Psalm 23 in a funeral setting because of the last phrase, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's funny. I think more about the beginning of the psalm than when I think of Psalm 23, I think of yeah, the Lord's beginning. Yeah, Lord's my shepherd. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful psalm. It. It's I, I, Maybe the reason why I bring that up is because it's always used in funeral settings mm -hmm. because of that last line, which is meant to give you hope. Oh, the deceased will be in the presence of the Lord forever, for all eternity. They're there right now, mm -hmm. not what the text is saying. Right. In fact, a better translation of that last line would be, and I will go back and forth. That verb, um, it could be either from the Hebrew term yashav, which means to dwell, to mm -hmm. sit or to dwell, like to be somewhere, or it could be from the Hebrew verb shuv, which means to turn or return. Hmm. 
it's the same form and it's context that gives you the clues. So to me, it would seem better. And this is not unique to, to Josh. I'm not that smart. But it could be read, and I will go back and forth to the temple, because the house of the Lord in the Old Testament context is temple language. I will go back and forth to the temple, which is what a good Torah-observant Israelite would do, Mm -hmm. and I will do that until the day I die. Hmm. And subtext, and when I die... We all know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Sheol because everybody who dies goes to Sheol mm-hmm. and we just exist there as dead people. It's a post-mortem experience that isn't life and it's not a punishment and it's not a blessing. We just go there to exist for all of eternity after we die. Not a good funeral <laughs> passage. No. You know? So I'm, I get my little double shot like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but all, there's just... Just existing but not existing forever. Right. We import our understanding back onto these ancient words, and we therefore miss the theological thought. I love thinking about Psalm 23 because it says so much. I don't want to get off on a side tangent here, but... I think, think we're already I know, I know, I know. And people at the end are like, what the H was what that? What are we doing? <laughs> also, I don't know why I keep abbreviating H. What the H? I have felt bad over the last couple of weeks about having to put the explicit tag on our <laughs> church podcast. So apologies. But think about this. There was a time in the Old Testament where people did not believe because it wasn't a part of their thinking that when they died, they would be judged, Mm -hmm. that they would either go to a good place or a bad place. They weren't thinking about heaven or hell. Those concepts are completely foreign in the Old Testament, right? So our sacred text, it documents moments, snippets in time where the writers of the Bible had no concept whatsoever Mm-hmm. about things that are pivotal to the way that we now tell the story. Right. Like most churches are like, heaven and hell, big deal. That's a big deal, mm-hmm. you know? But the psalmist... But there's no way that passage means that not because a that wasn't even on their radar. wasn't even a, a blip on the radar. It was a foregone conclusion that when you die, you go to Sheol, and it didn't matter if you were really good or if you were really bad. When the Psalms talk about don't let me go to Sheol, they basically mean that's coded language language for I don't want to die too soon. Don't let me die young, not don't let me go to this bad place that's going to be like hell. It wasn't. It was I don't want to die yet. Right. Isn't that wild? Like yeah. our sacred text has this has this theology that's embedded that is so foreign to where it ends up. And we don't know that. No, no idea. In the same way, we don't know that when John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, he's not talking about people getting saved, and he's not talking about an outward expression of an internal individual reality. He's making a quasi-political and social statement 
about where it's all going. And in order for you to be prepared for that, you need to come out into the wilderness Mm -hmm. with me and I will ritually purify you so that you can align yourself with the move of God. Yeah, that's not at all what we think. But isn't it pretty cool? And and maybe not because I haven't necessarily described it too well yet. (laughs) Um, Is there, can I ask a question? Yeah. Is there any movement in the world of scholarship that says what it means, what it meant in their context and also could mean that I think that is what scholarship that is what Christian scholarship attempts to do to say what it meant then and yeah. what it could that, mean for us so, now so any um any Christian commentary mm-hmm. that cares about the Bible as having some importance for us today will make that step now there's historical critical work which is basically let's unearth what this thing meant back then and when we do we're done. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Right. Because for them maybe the text has no ongoing significance. It would be like saying when Homer wrote the Odyssey what was he talking about in this particular passage? Yeah. Which I assume people do. I'm not entirely sure but you know they're try- just trying to figure out what was meant, but nobody is taking the Odyssey as a sacred text that is right. normative for the way they live out their lives. Right. Nobody's saying, I need, to, I need to live according to these principles outlined in Homer's Odyssey. Mm-hmm. So let's make the jump from back then to now. Mm-hmm. But Christians, some of them, do this where they say, what's the text saying and how does that mean now? But you can't get to the meaning now without doing the hard work. And this is why church is such a travesty a lot of times because pastors see the words on the page and how I said, like, what would you talk about? You know, I want to talk about Isaiah. They might see this and say, I'm going to talk about baptism. And I'm going to try to get people to go out into the wilderness with me because our times are hard and things are bad and we need to go out into the wilderness and get baptized. I just had a flashback to the secret word... um, skit on SNL with Kristen Wiig. I don't know it. It's, you, you're supposed to get the other person to say a word yeah. without saying the word, but every time she just says the word that's on the page, she's like, I'm an actress, I just say the word that's on the page. So she'll be like, if the word is like, um, ball, she'll be like, ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she'll be like, I'm an actress, I just see the words on the page and yeah. I read the words on the page. That's beautiful uh, to describe what Many, many ministers do. The words are on the page. I'm saying the word on the page. And uh, informing that further is this belief that these are the words that God wants us to have. They're inspired. They're inerrant. They're authoritative. Mm -hmm. And I can read them. And John's saying, you've got to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Mm Done. Done. Yeah. So we talk about forgiveness of sins in the way that makes sense to us in our context, and then we just throw that to people and hope, because you know they're going to have spontaneous baptism. So we hope that people will leave their seats and just get dunked one by one. Mm -hmm. 
if they've taken a class. You know, so <laughs> spontaneously, spontaneous, taking a class. but also you prepared yeah. for it. Yep. Kind of like that, um, that elevation scandal where they were having spontaneous baptisms, but some documents leaked where they wanted uh, their leadership to pop up out of their seats first as soon as Stephen Furtick said, who wants to get baptized? They oh. had already prompted the people to be like, get up and go. And because when they did that, they would kind of make it easier for other people to go. Uh-huh. Yeah, see, and so Elevation, their response to this, I think, was, oh, we just wanted to get them to move to be in places to help conduct this. Uh-huh. which is not how the document was written. But I don't think they were necessarily trying to dunk these people. Okay. They just wanted it to be, you know, like a... Um, it's hard to and, be the first one yeah, to get I up. see that hand. Yeah, yeah. Rob Bell tells a story where he's in the back of a church with his eyes open and a pastor is saying, I see that hand, I see that hand, and there are no hands. This I was just talking to <laughs> Dory Peterson... The other day, she was like, I always kept my eyes open when they did that at yeah. school. Did she say that they no were No one had their hands up. <laughs> See, I don't I don't believe that's always the case. Oh, no. Because, you know, in a different way, there's sometimes, you know, in the private school world, it's the same 10 people would get saved every week. Yeah. Because they were deathly afraid of hell, which is a totally different yeah. theological issue that we should solve for them anyway, mm-hmm. you know? That's not what it's about. But yeah, they were trying to kind of prime the pump to help people leave. But that's where a lot of folks would go with this Mm -hmm. and not really care about the question, now what was John doing? Mm -hmm. Why is John in the wilderness? Why is John proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? And what does that mean? And how is that linked to preparing the way for the Lord slash Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if we were historical critical scholars, we would want to unpack all of that in its context before we move to what do we then do with it. Mm -hmm. And in my estimation, this passage has very little to do, I think I might want to, you know, consider this a bit further, but off the top of my head, this has very little to do with how and why we baptize people now. Mm-hmm. Baptists would say, you go to Romans 6, it's an identification in the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is why you get dunked by immersion, because you go under the water as a form of death, and you come up as a form of resurrection, and you participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's this, this symbol for how we have done that in our commitment to following Jesus. That's just not in this passage at all. Yeah. It's meaning something different. So listen to what N.T. Wright says. He's talking about forgiveness. And this is also like when I'm I'm preaching and I find a juicy quote, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I got to use this juicy quote. It's the same as like dope sick. Like, oh, I love dope sick. (laughs) And I love this juicy quote. Mm -hmm. And I got to wedge him in. Uh But he's, he's addressing this. He says, centuries of Christian usage have accustomed readers of the New Testament to think of forgiveness as primarily a gift to the individual person, which can be made at any time. See what he's doing. He's setting the stage for a rethink of what forgiveness might mean to John the Baptist. And he's saying 
it is dissimilar to how we think of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. How do we think of forgiveness? We do something. We can, well, we confess it. Yeah. Is how I would say it. And then, man, it's hard. It's funny. It's kind of hard to describe. Well, it's insane to think about it. Like, what are the mechanisms put in place? Like God to... relieves you of your sin. Yes. And then there's all sorts of stuff behind the curtain as to like, well, how, based on what, does Jesus' yeah. death, what's that do? What's the mechanism that, that actually makes that possible? Uh, side note, throughout the Old Testament, a lot of times it was simply a, Lord, forgive me. Okay. Right. It, it wasn't like, Lord, please accept this slaughtered goat in order to atone for my sins. It, mm-hmm. Like Psalm 51, that it's supposedly this psalm that's set after David's raping of Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. And there's this line about how against you, God, and you alone have I sinned. Like it's this, it's this prayer of confession. And it basically says, have mercy on me. That's the plea. And the hope is that God will say, okay. Hmm. It's not about like, the hoops that you jump through. Yeah. But we often think about what are all the hoops that lead to this forgiveness actually happening. But however we shake it, you're right. Forgiveness for most people in our context is you sin and then you have to ask for forgiveness and God forgives you. Yeah. It's very individual. Yes. I don't ask for forgiveness for you no. or for my kids no. or for my wife. It's a, just about me. Mm-hmm. So I, in my prayers, I say, forgive me. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I have a list of transgressions mm-hmm. that are deemed sinful that I need to be forgiven of. Yes. So N.T. Wright says, that's what's happening. Then centuries of Christian usage have accustomed readers to think in that way. Side note, that's not wrong. Okay. There is an aspect of forgiveness where we have transgressions and we ask God to forgive us because God is able to forgive us. Okay. I don't want to import any of the legal stuff like and if you don't then I don't want to import that just on the the face of it. When we sin, there is an aspect in which we should be seeking forgiveness from our maker. Mm-hmm. Okay, but That's just one set, layer of it. Yep, let's set okay. that. And this is a layer that is not present in this passage. Let's set that off to the side. Okay. He goes on to say, what is regularly missing from analyses of forgiveness, and you can put in there like, what is regularly missing from sermons on any of this, is that which... And I also, when I find these juicy quotes, I know that half the time they're unintelligible to normal people. That which. Right, right. That which, comma, long clause. Uh-huh. That which arguably stands front and center in precisely those biblical and post-biblical Jewish texts upon which Jesus and the early church drew most heavily. Okay, so they stand front and center in these texts that the Jewish people focused on. And that's what's missing. He's saying there's a massive layer of information that would inform what John the Baptist 
is thinking when he's out in the wilderness saying, proclaiming a baptism for the repentance and forgiveness of sins. In his mind, that means something very different than what it means in our minds because we've grown accustomed to this individualized thing. Okay, so what did it mean for This is where it gets real weird, and this is where I knew... If I hadn't lost people already, uh-huh. I was I was about to lose them for good. <laughs> oh, good. And this is I have these existential moments where I'm talking in front of people and I start like getting sweaty on my forehead thinking like, "Oh, this is so terrible. This is not going to go well because I'm either not prepared enough or I don't have the time to develop this fully, mm-hmm. so I'm going to do a pretty shoddy job of just talking over the issues and they're not going to get it." And it's not because that they're like intellectually incapable. It's because I'm not doing my job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I just know like, let's just gut this out. It'll be a terrible three minutes and hopefully I can resolve it somehow at the end. Okay. All right. What N.T. Wright is saying, and other, there's some other scholars that, that would agree. This is sort of, I think this is kind of a unique take from him. But he's saying when, when John the Baptist is out in the wilderness talking about repentance for the forgiveness of sins... Wright links that with the exile. Hmm. And again, as a minister, I know like, ooh, you say a big word like the exile, which is a massive theological theme in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament that we don't talk about enough so people have no freaking idea what we even mean when we say the exile as a historical event, right? Yeah. So the exile, are, is he saying that John going out into the wilderness, that's the parallel with the exile? Not all of it. Or is he saying that baptism is part he would, of that? He would say that that's part of his placement in the wilderness is part of his prophetic persona. Okay. And also remember the text in Isaiah, and John was not doing this, but the text in Isaiah says a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And this is what the person in the wilderness says. Yeah. Now, John was definitely not saying, oh, in Isaiah, this happens. I'm going to go fulfill that. Right. That's No. He's going out there because um, he's separating himself from the, the cities in some way. He's going out there because it's, it's, a, it's a sign act of a new exodus. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're in the wilderness. They're going through the water. And they're being led into a newness of life and hope, just like in the old times. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like we need to, in John's thinking, we need to relive Exodus and make it Exodus 2.0 to enter into the promised land that will be brought by this guy who's going to show up and baptize us with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm. See all those layers? Yeah. There's a lot happening here. Uh Uh-huh. But he's, he's saying when he talks about forgiveness of sins, that's the tie to the exile because all throughout the Old Testament, whenever it talks about um, Judah being removed from the promised land because of the Babylonian invasion in the 6th century, the destruction of Jerusalem, all of these bad things, the Old Testament refers to that as a penalty for sin, which has led them to be booted out of the land, to be in foreign territory, 
And the only way for them to be reestablished is to have those sins forgiven. Okay. So apparently, in Wright's thinking, even though the people came back into the land in like five, it was either 539 or 515, I forget which one, BC. They, they're back in the land. Mm-hmm. But the way that people were thinking about it is they haven't really been forgiven yet because they're still under the oppression of all these other people. Hmm. Like Jewish history is replete, Tessa, it's replete <laughs> with foreign powers being over this people And this is especially the case in the first century, which is why you get that long list of in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius and Pontius Pilate and Herod and all these people like... And that one guy's name that sounds like a disease. Lysanias? Trachonitis or Uh, something. No, he's from Trachonitis. (laughs) Or he's ruling over Trachonitis. It's like bronchitis. Nobody knows anything about this guy, by the way. He appears here and then it's like, well, who's this guy? I don't know. Yeah. But they're under the thumb of people which shows they haven't really been forgiven yet as a community Mm -hmm. does that make sense i think so it's hard to track because it's such a that's the reason for john baptizing people in the wilderness according to nt Wright, and it's a communal thing it's not an individual yes well let me back up That, that would be both and yeah yeah you as an individual want to participate in the shape and the future of the community mm-hmm. but the community i think takes precedence over the individual so it's sort of like it's both and you can't really have one without the other mhm but we but people are focused on the community aspect of it here yeah we don't give two rips about the community no in fact you hear sermons like when you're standing before the lord your wife isn't going to be with you, and your parents aren't going to be with you. It's your own thing. Hmm. like, And it's almost like they don't give two rips if those people will be with you at all. Yeah. Because it's just about you and your commitments. That's a foreign concept in the New Testament. Even for Paul, he, if he heard that, he'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> like Paul has this big thing about all Israel being saved. Mm-hmm. It's a It's a big cosmic sort of plan that God is enacting and moving towards, and Paul is wanting to invite people to participate in something larger than themselves, but we've reduced that to, we want you to participate in something that is only about yourself. Uh-huh. Because make- that's what we like here in our culture. We're, it's very individualistic, it's yep. very consumeristic, and that has driven the bus in how we think about the gospel, which is so funny, isn't it? And how we think about a lot of things. Let, but let yes. me get on a soapbox here real quick. All right. Because more progressive churches hear something like this a, a lot. Oh, you're just following the ways of culture in your interpretations of uh-huh. the Bible. However. Okay, bro. <laughs> uh, I mean, first of all, no. But second of all, you cannot divorce yourself from culture, but also... Look in the mirror because the way that you're preaching the gospel is very the individualism that's that's, that's cultural, prominent in cultural the consumerism America the uh, the I'm gonna say it the capitalism yeah you get what's yours because you have done this thing which flies in the face of you know like 
salvation is through God and God alone. We say that, but then also there's this piece of, but I know the right things and I believe the right things and I say the right things and I Mm -hmm. am the right things. So thanks God, but I've done some stuff too. Mm -hmm. Even though we we wouldn't say that out loud. But yeah, so N.T. Wright is saying, John is attempting to usher in a nationalistic, communal, final return from exile, Hmm. which would look like a forgiveness of sins that allows that newness to invade. Hmm. Yeah, right? And what I hear there is... hmm. It's hard to wrap our heads around that concept. And it's hard to preach that in 30 minutes on Zoom. I'd say it's nearly impossible to get everything in there. In 30 minutes on Zoom. I mean, here we are cruising at around an hour and 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, and granted, some of that was silliness. But for the most part, I've been trying to unpack this first century reading of John the Baptist and what he was talking about and how it's dissimilar from what we hear initially. Can I ask a question that Please. C- could put you off on another Oh, you know I love a tangent. Okay, great. How does John doing these baptisms in the wilderness and it being another exile? Yeah, like maybe say trying to be another Exodus. Trying to trying to enact some Exodus stuff leading into newness and also putting the exile to end finally. Putting it to end because God is forgiving. A new forgiveness over the whole community. How does that relate to Jesus going to the cross? Or how, I guess, how close is it, is it to chronologically? Chronologic? I don't know if chronologically is the, is, let's say. Well, that's one of the questions. That, like how, wh- where is this happening in relation to when Jesus goes to the cross? Okay, so we don't know. Okay. We would guesstimate, and when I say we, I mean the smart people. The experts. Would, would guesstimate, and I have read them, yes. so I get to be included. Okay, great. <laughs> um, this is set because Jesus shows up mm-hmm. pretty soon right. to be baptized, to participate in this baptism of Exodus 2.0, an end of exile, a forgiveness of sins that's communal. Is that sort of Jesus giving his blessing over this whole thing? I think that's Jesus. showing up. I don't know if it's so much a blessing as it is Jesus saying, this is what I'm about. Mm. John's on the right page. Yeah. And I'm going to be the guy who really brings it to bear. Well, that's, I mean, sort of maybe not a blessing, but like a stamp of approval. Like, I mean, it's, it's certainly saying something where he's participating in this baptism like we're of on repentance the right path for the forgiveness here. of sins. And he, I, I see it as him saying, exile's about to end, y'all. Okay. I'm about to I'm about to bring a forgiveness that you haven't experienced yet. Mm-hmm. So in a way, this is sort of a precursor to. Oh yeah. Okay. Which is why it's part of the Advent series. But we don't know how soon after. Well, I mean, you you would think. Um, Were John and Jesus about the same age? Yeah. Okay. So because, he, John is remember, almost thirty in this. Remember, right? we've got in chapter one, you've got the Zechariah uh, and Elizabeth prophecy. Mm-hmm. And when Mary shows up after she has heard that she's going to have a baby, John in the womb 
Mm-hmm. Weird, weird. John in the womb mm-hmm. leaps. Mm-hmm. It's like, whoa, Jesus is here. <laughs> you know? There's so... We didn't even unpack that because I, oh, yeah. I could go off on a complete rabbit trail on what does it mean for this baby to have a calling on his life? And should we think about calling in that way for like are people predestined or predetermined to, to do x y and z i, I don't want to go down that rabbit trail it feels like a whole other so yeah they're, they're close in age and you would think um because of how john's gospel places jesus around jerusalem for the festivals probably three times mm-hmm that's a yearly cycle, so people think that Jesus was ministering for about three years before his death. Mm-hmm. That's also, um, you can't prove that because the synoptics only have Jesus in Jerusalem one time, hmm. which is pretty wild. So people, again, think, eh, probably a three-year-ish ministry, and he was born at the earliest 4 BC. Couldn't have been born after that because Herod died in 4 BC. So Jesus was not born on zero, mm-hmm. which is also wild. Mm-hmm. Jude was in the back of the car the other day saying, Dad, was Jesus born on Christmas? No, son. Actually, he was probably born in the springtime, <laughs> March or April. Well, what are we doing on Christmas then? <laughs> like, I don't know that, but we've oh, decided. So, like, my kids will be fine. But Jesus not born at zero, but at four. So some people place this event around 26 CE mm-hmm. or so. So both of these guys are in their late 20s, early 30s at this point. So, but this is probably two to three years from when. Oh Jesus yeah, goes yeah, yeah, yeah. So so okay. he he this this initiates his baptism begins his ministry because that's when the heavens rip open and the voice of God says. This is my son. And all the stories are different about this and what God says and how God says it and what happens. But the skies rip open, the dove descends, and this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And in some versions, I think the people hear that, and in other versions, they don't. But it's like, whoa, craziness. So they're both like at the beginning of their... uh, John, maybe maybe less so, because his whole work has been to prepare for this Uh, moment. right, right, right. He, now he keeps going, mm-hmm. he because he's eventually going to say some things about Herod, who um, is not Herod the Great, but different Herod because we're now twenty six thirty ish years away. Different Herod. He talks trash about how the fact that Herod has married his sister in law, I believe. So Herod's so ticked at that that he ends up in putting John in prison, and his wife is so ticked that she tricks Herod into beheading him. So he, his ministry keeps going. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll die during Jesus's uh, ministry experience. Okay. But he's probably logged a few years leading up to this, because there's people that are leaving their homes to go to the region of the Jordan to be baptized by this rogue prophet figure which is weird and we'll talk more about that next week because when certain people show up he's like who told you to come out here you vipers but yeah so we're we're dealing with um 30-ish years from the birth announcements jesus and john close in age 
um, and this may be two to three and a half years before the crucifixion. Okay. But yeah, this is a moment, and Jesus is saying, I want in on this, and I want to become a part of the community that is ushering in the kingdom of God and modeling Exodus 2.0 and bringing an end to sinfulness and, and experiencing forgiveness in this big communal sort of way. Hmm. Now, okay, okay. So we've set all of this up. John and the... Oh, that was just the setup. <laughs> well, it's a setup for the part that makes this a sermon okay. and not a lecture. Mm-hmm. John's out in the wilderness. He's talking about stuff that we aren't thinking about, but yeah. now that we're caught up to speed, the question then becomes, what do we do with that? Right. So I'm curious. Oh, boy. You've heard this now. You've heard all of the things that he's doing. How might you go from, that's the first century context, what might that mean for us that goes beyond just, this is setting up Jesus? Is there any way that we could participate in something like this? I mean, it definitely makes you think differently about what baptism is and what it means. Yes. As I think it should. Yes. And this is not something that we would, we wouldn't practice a baptism like this, I don't Mm -hmm. think. Yeah. Because again, there's still beauty in the Johnny individual following Jesus, symbol of death and resurrection, part of the family, great. But, but if, if what if what so if what John is doing is a sort of preparing the way for Jesus, I mean there are ways for us to sort of prepare the way for Jesus. Yeah, for I, for the kingdom. Yeah. to come to earth. And let me make this this connection for us too. John is preparing the way by calling for social reform and spiritual transformation. Where are those things coming from? The whole idea of repentance. Mm-hmm. We uh, This is the same thing. N.T. Wright it's says when, not the way when we, we think, think about it. forgiveness, we equate it with stuff. When we think about repentance, we think about stop sinning. Mm-hmm. Repentance in its first century Jewish context is more of a you're aligned with the wrong things, mm. align with the right things. So this social reform is basically John saying all of your allegiances, whether they be political, social, communal, uh, religious, all of the things that you're doing now, they're wrong. They're going in the wrong direction. They're the wrong allegiances. Um, So just like in the Old Testament, the people needed to align themselves with God and God's movement, and John is saying This thing that we're doing here is a symbol of you rejecting the status quo and all of these former allegiances, and you're riding the ship and going in a way that God is wanting God's people to go in order for these massive um, kingdom-esque things to be brought to earth. Okay, well, I think that that's work that we can be doing yeah, always. <laughs> yes, right. So so there is a point of, of application here with John saying, 
the status quo is jacked. Mm-hmm. We're going in the wrong <laughs> status way. Status quo is still jacked. Yes, and we need to right the ship yeah. and go in a different way. So even Jesus has died, Jesus has been raised from the dead, Jesus has ascended, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's getting ready to peek through the bookshelf, if you listen to last <laughs> mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. And now we find ourselves, Advent, in the in-between yeah. from his first coming and his second coming, and we're still receiving the call to figure out our allegiances and to see where societal, political, religious allegiances are going in the wrong direction, which is, as they say, a word for the church. Yeah. Because we are screwed up. Yep. So it's almost like if John was out in the wilderness now, this is where I wanted to take us on Sunday. Hmm. If John was in the wilderness now saying, get baptized for a turning of your allegiances that will usher in the the kingdom of God that will bring heaven to earth, what would it look like for us to be doing the work that he's talking yes. about? Yes. So what are the things that we're supposed to be rejecting? We did talk a little bit about this we on did. Sunday. And we, and we got some good we ideas. We talked about some materialism, consumerism. Um, someone said something funny. What was it? I don't Capitalism. remember. Capitalism. Uh, um, I, <laughs> I, I always get a little scared when, I know. when the C word comes up because, yeah. you know, then people are very quick to say, what do you want it to be? Socialism? Look yeah. at Venezuela. Like yeah. that sort of, okay, relax. But also this whole idea of what's mine is mine and I work hard for it. And if you want to take it, screw you. All right. Show me that in the text. Yeah. Show me that it's sort not, of ardency in, in the Bible and where Jesus was like, yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, because you do work hard and you should not have to help people. Mm-hmm. That's what, that's first just, will be last, last will be first. They yeah, just, shared everything they had. I'm not trying to make Jesus into a socialist necessarily, no, but, but he's not a 21st century American capitalist. No, no he's and that, not. That's again where we, we've equated the wrong things with the right things mm-hmm. and they're so ent- intertwined that we can't remove them. Yeah. So this, I think this is exactly what John is talking about. You've gone in the wrong direction, and now what we have is a church, an American church, that is rubber stamping a president who is antithetical mm-hmm. to everything that we stand for Yeah. in terms of our theological commitments, and we are so enthralled that we're willing to be as hypocritical as humanly possible. And you're talking about our previous president, or are you talking about our current president? I was absolutely thinking about our illustrious uh, uh-huh. 45th president, Yes, but I don't think that it's wrong to make that equation with any American sure. president. yeah. When we have equated them with the inbreaking of the kingdom and the rule of God, oh as gosh. if God is setting up a old white like men God on the throne, like God would come through a politician, that just doesn't. It's so it's so weird. God, when God you think probably about wouldn't it. come through a politician that would get elected, you know. But I mean, there. I I if, don't want if to you're say you're not getting elected. Are you a politician? 
being a politician is a is a is a mindset. Is it? That's a, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. There's lots of different ways to be in politics, though, at different at different levels. That's a that's a grand claim. I'm sure there's a lot lot of politicians who attempt to enact their version of whatever following Jesus means to them. Uh-huh. I don't want to I don't want to discredit that. But when you're just looking at things that are so blatantly obvious and trying to whitewash them as this is exactly what Jesus wants mm-hmm. in terms of the American political system. Yeah, I guess when I was I said politician, I was thinking old white guy. I, and I think I guess I have a not a favorable view on a lot of politicians. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, there's certainly people with certain platforms, I think, that are Jesus y yes, platforms. Yes, that are doing important work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, again, that sort of stuff, I think we're still being called to identify and reject and go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So, what does, and it comes down to this question what does it look like to follow Jesus in the in between in a way? that is aware of things that we need to reject and is also aware of things that we need to promote for the betterment of the community. And that that's where I wanted to leave people. To no, absolutely question. I'm okay, not. Great. Like, In the same way, there's probably a lot of expressions of doing that. And there's a lot of different different passions that people have that could be excited by that question alone. Mm -hmm. You're like, what do you need to reject? If you just stop there and you get crawl inside of everyone who's hearing that in their heads, it's going to look really different. Mm -hmm. And they're probably all legitimate things where people need to say, I'm too, uh, you know, hooked by consumerism. I'm too hooked by... What other people think of me. Yep. I'm too hooked by... um, individualism. Like I have no care or concern for the larger community. It's all about me and all about mine. Mm -hmm. So for each person, that might be a healthy redirect in the same way. I think it's a healthy redirect for people to focus on the positive of what it might look like then to walk in a different direction. So if we're going to reject individualism, what does it look like to place the needs of the community as something that's important? Or if we're going to reject consumerism, what does it look like for us to live simply or to live with generosity? You know, like your generosity and my generosity are going to look different Mm -hmm. because we have different bank accounts, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we have different passions, Mm -hmm. because we have different leadings, you know? But yeah, if I was preaching this passage... (laughs) I'd want people to see, A, the way you look at the Bible is usually wrong mm-hmm. because we're so quick to dump our experience and our 21st century American ideals on an ancient text. Yep. And that can lead us down a bad road a lot of times. And I'd also want to ask the big question, with the rethinking of John the Baptist and this baptism that means different things what does it look like for us to identify with a similar move that he's asking people to identify with in our moment and you know what you know what i think that's a darn good sermon
Yeah. Now, was it a darn it good sermon us, on Sunday? <laughs> no. Well, I don't. and even today it took us a bit to get there. It's just not a simple thing because you have to first, your first sort of, not undoing, but reframing one thing that is prominent in yeah. the church world and then which, which reframing le- what the passage means. Yes, which leads me to this question that I always ask. Mm-hmm. Am I... Or people like me doing damage no. to let me finish. To I mean, I'll allow it. To but. people's trust in our text. When I say you think you know what this means, but you don't, and then I go off on this like you gotta have a seminary education and have a PhD in Bible stuff to to weed through what the heck this guy's talking about for us to make any sense of it. Do you think that that, does that do damage to the way that we might approach the Bible or even our desire to approach the Bible? I don't know if damage is the right word. It definitely makes approaching the Bible different. Difficult, you think? At times, sure, yeah. I want to make this, I want to make this statement. And I want to make it boldly, and I want to make it loudly. Okay. You don't have to know all of the answers to read the Bible and to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think the end game is if you really want to get it, go to seminary. That's garbage. Yeah. First of all, because you might go to a seminary that teaches you all the wrong ways of going about it. I might have gone to, this, to all the seminaries that told me the wrong ways of going about it. It's really difficult to know what in the world we're talking about. I've yeah. just talked about one guy's approach. Yeah. There's other approaches. Mm-hmm. I don't think they would be too far off in saying, yeah, what John's talking about is different than what we do. But I don't want to make it su- such a like a mountain of difficult that we don't even want to touch it. You can touch it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> let's not make that a sound clip. <laughs> You, oh, no. you can touch that. <laughs> Josh, in parentheses, Josh talking about the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Oy. Oy. Yeah. Okay. So you can. You can approach it. You yes. can spend time with it and <laughs> you can touch it. It's, I, hate, I hate everything we're saying right now. I hate it all. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be so quick to give up the Bible because it's difficult, but just you can expect read it, it and maybe expect it to be difficult. It's a yeah. freaking old ancient book that conflicts and argues with itself and you might ask the question so why am i even doing this that's Mm -hmm. a great question figure that out Mm -hmm. you know but don't be so scared of it that you won't um you know get get involved in reading it (laughs) there's no way to say it that's not gross now okay oh boy so anyway um hopefully (laughs) and i I would say this too tessa that's work that i will never abandon Mm -hmm. i will never not do the the forced rethink of an old story for the sake of ease Mm -hmm. y'all got nine thousand other churches you could go to if you wanted ease you could you got nine thousand other churches where they'd say oh john is baptizing people so we've got the tubs they're all warmed up so if you want to get dunked go for it yeah the only way i would do that is if i said you want to come in here and align yourself with the the way of the kingdom 
and reject the status quo of consumerism and individualism and all this stuff, and you want to participate in in the newness of an exodus realized and an exile forgiveness realized, like all that nerdy stuff. But I will never abandon the rethinking of these texts because I think it's important for us to understand what they mean so that we can get to a better place of application. Yeah. God bless everyone. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Thank you to God the lectionary for everyone. What a what a ridiculous passage. Wild. So we'll be on the, the second half of that uh, next oh, week. Boy. We got we've got more time to spend with John the Baptist, although yep. we've laid the groundwork now. Yeah. So I feel I feel good about it. We can just hear him when he says, You brood of vipers, and we can input American religious leaders into who he would be talking to now, mm. which will be fun. Yeah. I'll bring names. You got we a could, list? We could put their heads on vipers' bodies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ways to make a church die. Mm. Call out vipers. questionable leaders yeah. and refer to them as vipers yeah. while on viper bodies. Yep. Okay. Well. As always. See ya at... Beer and Hymns yes. on Saturday night, December 11th, 5 o'clock. We'll either be in the parking lot or we'll be in the building. But we'll let you know. Check our socials for that. Facebook.com backslash Restore SBY or Instagram at Restore SBY. Yep. Um, and then, you know, if you want to look at our church finance, mm-hmm. Next let Wednesday. us know. Oh, and also while you're uh, in the bathroom now for uh, one hour and 35 minutes, Uh, If you'd like to join us on Thursday night for Single All The Way, we'll be doing some witty, witty banter on Slack and talking about what looks to be a holiday It's got some people in it. Yeah, it's got your your girl. Um, Who's my girl? The person uh, who from Best in Show is like, we like soup and talking about things or not talking that, Wait. Yeah, from uh from Shit's Creek? Yes. No, 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 not Shit's Creek. Um Oh, that movie with Reese Witherspoon where she was a lawyer. Legally blonde? Oh. Yeah, that, yes, yes, that yes, woman. yes. She was also in Cinderella Story. I can't remember her name, yeah. but, you, but she's you know great. Who I'm talking I love about. her. Also on that mo- that show about uh the hotel in Hawaii on HBO that I was really into. That Susie ruined. That you saw the end of it, and you're like, no, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, yeah, White you. Lotus. White Lotus, thank you. Yeah. Okay, all those things. Yep. 8.15 on Thursday, single all the way. In the meantime, people, peace, love, equality. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Thank you. Bye.